This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, Toronto, Ontario, March 2007. Captain Blood by Raphael Sabatini. Chapter 30 The Last Fight of the Arabella. "'Why do you wait, my friend?' growled van der Kuhlen. "'Aye, in God's name!' snapped Willoughby. It was the afternoon of that same day, and the two buccaneer ships rocked gently with idly flapping sails under the lee of the long spit of land, forming the great natural harbour of Port Royal, and less than a mile from the straits leading into it, which the fort commanded. It was two hours and more since they had brought up thereabouts, having crept thither unobserved by the city and by Monsieur de Rivarol's ships, and all the time the air had been a quiver with the roar of guns from sea and land, announcing that battle was joined between the French and the defenders of Port Royal. That long inactive waiting was straining the nerves of both Lord Willoughby and van der Kuhlen. "'You said you would show us some vine-dings. "'Where are these vine-dings?' "'Blood faced them, smiling confidently. "'He was arrayed for battle, in back and breast of black steel. "'I'll not be trying your patience much longer. "'Indeed, I notice already a slackening in the fire. "'But it's this way now. "'There is nothing at all to be gained by precipitancy, "'and a deal to be gained by delaying, "'as I shall show you, I hope.' Lord Willoughby eyed him suspiciously. "'You think that in the meantime Bishop may come back, or Admiral van der Kuhlen's fleet appear?' "'Sure now, I'm thinking nothing of the kind. What I'm thinking is that in this engagement with the fort Monsieur de Rivarot, who's a lubberly fellow, as I've reason to know, will be taking some damage that may make the odds a trifle more even. Sure it'll be time enough to go forward when the fort has shot its bolt.' "'Aye, aye!' The sharp approval came like a cough from the little Governor-General. "'I perceive your object, and I believe you're entirely right. "'You have the qualities of a great commander, Captain Blood. "'I beg your pardon for having misunderstood you.' "'And that's very handsome of your lordship. "'You see, I have some experience of this kind of action, "'and whilst I'll take any risk that I must, "'I'll take none that I needn't. "'But,' he broke off to listen, "'Aye, I was right.' the fire slackening. It'll mean the end of Mallard's resistance in the fort. Ho there, Jeremy! He leaned on the carved rail, and issued orders crisply. The boatswain's pipe shrilled out, and in a moment the ship that had seemed to slumber there awoke to life. Came the padding of feet along the decks, the creaking of blocks, and the hoisting of sail. The helm was put over hard, and in a moment they were moving, the Elizabeth following, ever in obedience to the signals from the Arabella, whilst Ogle the gunner, whom he had summoned, was receiving Blood's final instructions, before plunging down to his station on the main deck. Within a quarter of an hour they had rounded the head, and stood in to the harbour mouth, within saker shot of Riverol's three ships, to which they now abruptly disclosed themselves. Where the fort had stood they now beheld a smoking rubbish-heap, and the victorious Frenchman 
with the lily standard trailing from his masthead, was sweeping forward to snatch the rich prize whose defences he had shattered. Blood scanned the French ships and chuckled. The Victorieuse and the Medusa appeared to have taken no more than a few scars, but the third ship, the Baleen, listing heavily to larboard, so as to keep the great gash in her starboard well above water, was out of account. "'You see?' he cried to van der Kuhlen, and without waiting for the Dutchman's approving grunt, he shouted an order, "'Helm! Hard a port!' The sight of that great red ship, with her gilt beakhead and open ports swinging broadside on, must have given check to Rivarol's soaring exultation. Yet before he could move to give an order— before he could well resolve what order to give, a volcano of fire and metal burst upon him from the buccaneers, and his decks were swept by the murderous scythe of the broadside. The Arabella held her course, giving place to the Elizabeth, which, following closely, executed the same manoeuvre. And then, while still the Frenchmen were confused, panic-stricken by an attack that took them so utterly by surprise, the Arabella had gone about, and was returning in her tracks, presenting now her larboard guns, and loosing her second broadside in the wake of the first. Came yet another broadside from the Elizabeth, and then the Arabella's trumpeter sent a call across the water, which Hagthorpe perfectly understood. "'On now, Jeremy!' cried Blood. "'Straight into them before they recover their wits. Stand by there. Prepare to board. Hayton! The grapnels! And pass the word to the gunner in the prow to fire as fast as he can load.' He discarded his feathered hat, and covered himself with a steel headpiece, which a negro lad brought him. He meant to lead this boarding-party in person. Briskly he explained himself to his two guests. Boarding is our only chance here. We are too heavily outgunned. Of this the fullest demonstration followed quickly. The Frenchmen having recovered their wits at last, both ships swung broadside on, and concentrating upon the Arabella as the nearer and heavier, and therefore more immediately dangerous of their two opponents, volleyed upon her jointly at almost the same moment. Unlike the buccaneers, who had fired high to cripple their enemies above decks, the French fifed low to smash the hull of their assailant. The Arabella rocked and staggered under that terrific hammering, although Pitt kept her headed towards the French, so that she should offer the narrowest target. For a moment she seemed to hesitate, then she plunged forward again, her beak-head in splinters, her forecastle smashed, and a gaping hole forward that was only just above the water-line. Indeed, to make her safe from bilging, Blood ordered a prompt jettisoning of the forward guns, anchors and water-casks, and whatever else was movable. Meanwhile the Frenchman going about gave the like reception to the Elizabeth. The Arabella, indifferently served by the wind, pressed forward to come to grips. But before she could accomplish her object, the Victorieuse had loaded her starboard guns again, and pounded her advancing enemy with a second broadside at close quarters. Amid the thunder of cannon, the rending of timbers, and the screams of maimed men, the half-necked Arabella plunged and reeled into the cloud of smoke that concealed her prey, and then from Hayton went up the cry that she was going down by the head. Blood's heart stood still, and then in that very moment of his despair the blue and gold flank of the Victorieuse loomed through the smoke. But even as he caught that enheartening glimpse he perceived, too, how sluggish now was their advance, 
and how with every second it grew more sluggish. They must sink before they reached her. Thus, with an oath, opined the Dutch admiral, and from Lord Willoughby there was a word of blame for Blood's seamanship in having risked all upon this gambler's throw of boarding. "'There was no other chance,' cried Blood, in broken-hearted frenzy. "'If ye say it was desperate and foolhardy, why so it was. But the occasion and the means demanded nothing less. I fail within an ace of victory.' But they had not yet completely failed. Hayton himself, and a score of sturdy rogues whom his whistle had summoned, were crouching for shelter amid the wreckage of the forecastle with grapnels ready. Within seven or eight yards of the victorieuse, when their way seemed spent, and their forward deck already awash under the eyes of the jeering, cheering Frenchmen, those men leapt up and forward, and hurled their grapnels across the chasm. Of the four they flung, two reached the Frenchmen's decks, and fastened there. Swift as thought itself was then the action of those sturdy, experienced buccaneers. Unhesitatingly, all threw themselves upon the chain of one of those grapnels, neglecting the other, and heaved upon it with all their might to warp the ships together. Blood, watching from his own quarter-deck, sent out his voice in a clarion call. "'Musketeers to the prow!' The musketeers, at their station at the waist, obeyed him with the speed of men who know that in obedience is the only hope of life. Fifty of them dashed forward instantly, and from the ruins of the forecastle they blazed over the heads of Hayton's men, mowing down the French soldiers, who, unable to dislodge the irons, firmly held where they had deeply bitten into the timbers of the victorieuse, were themselves preparing to fire upon the grapnel crew. Starboard to starboard the two ships swung against each other with a jarring thud. By then blood was down in the waist, judging and acting with the hurricane speed the occasion demanded. Sail had been lowered by slashing away the ropes that held the yards. The advance guard of boarders, a hundred strong, was ordered to the poop, and his grapnel men were posted, and prompt to obey his command at the very moment of impact. As a result, the foundering Arabella was literally kept afloat by the half-dozen grapnels that in an instant moored her firmly to the victorieuse. Willoughby and van der Coolen on the poop had watched in breathless amazement the speed and precision with which Blood and his desperate crew had gone to work. And now he came racing up, his bugler sounding the charge, the main host of the buccaneers following him, whilst the vanguard, led by the gunner Ogle, who had been driven from his guns by water in the gun-deck, leapt shouting to the prow of the victorieuse, to whose level the high poop of the water-logged Arabella had sunk. Led now by blood himself, they launched themselves upon the French, like hounds upon the stag they have brought to bay. After them went others, until all had gone, and none but Willoughby and the Dutchman were left to watch the fight from the quarter-deck of the abandoned Arabella. For fully half an hour that battle raged aboard the Frenchman. Beginning in the prow, it surged through the forecastle to the waist, where it reached a climax of fury. The French resisted stubbornly, and they had the advantage of numbers to encourage them. But for all their stubborn valour, they ended by being pressed back and back across the decks that were dangerously canted to starboard by the pull of the water-logged Arabella. The buccaneers fought with the desperate fury of men, who know that retreat is impossible, for there was no ship to which they could retreat, and here they must prevail and make the victorieuse their own, or perish. 
and their own they made her in the end, and at a cost of nearly half their numbers. Driven to the quarter-deck, the surviving defenders, urged on by the infuriated Riverol, maintained a while their desperate resistance. But in the end, Riverol went down with a bullet in his head, and the French remnant, numbering scarcely a score of whole men, called for quarter. Even then the labors of Blood's men were not at an end. The Elizabeth and the Medusa were tight-locked, and Hagthorpe's followers were being driven back aboard their own ship for the second time. Prompt measures were demanded. Whilst Pitt and his seamen bore their part with the sails, and Ogle went below with the gun-crew, Blood ordered the grapnels to be loosed at once. Lord Willoughby and the Admiral were already aboard the Victorieuse. As they swung off to the rescue of Hagthorpe, Blood, from the quarter-deck of the conquered vessel, looked his last upon the ship that had served him so well, the ship that had become to him almost as a part of himself. A moment she rocked after her release, then slowly and gradually settled down, the water gurgling and eddying about her topmasts, all that remained visible to mark the spot where she had met her death. As he stood there, above the ghastly shambles in the waist of the Victorieuse, someone spoke behind him. I think, Captain Blood, that it is necessary I should beg your pardon for the second time. Never before have I seen the impossible made possible by resource and valor, or victory so gallantly snatched from defeat. He turned and presented to Lord Willoughby a formidable front. His headpiece was gone, his breastplate dinted, his right sleeve a rag hanging from his shoulder about a naked arm. He was splashed from head to foot with blood, and there was blood from a scalp wound that he had taken, matting his hair and mixing with the grime of powder on his face to render him unrecognizable. But from that horrible mask two vivid eyes looked out preternaturally bright, and from those eyes two tears had ploughed each a furrow through the filth of his cheeks. End of chapter 30